welcome to the Mommy Mentor Podcast. This parenting bullshit is hard, am I right? From sleepless nights with newborns to sleepless nights with teens, from potty training to sending them off to college, I'm here to get you through it all as your Mommy Mentor. My name is Erin Kennedy Health, and I'm a registered nurse and a mom of three. I have professional experience with moms and babies as a postpartum nurse, which keeps the postpartum and newborn experience fresh in my mind. And I have 17 years of parenting experience as well. For information on this podcast and more, go to mommymentorpodcast.com. Parents, grab a cup of whatever you prefer and settle in for the next episode. Hello, Mommy Mentor audience. We have a very special guest today. Her name is Dr. Diane Spire. Am I saying that correctly? Spire? Perfect. And Mm -hmm. she is very well-rounded in the things that she does. We're here to talk about the fourth trimester, but that is not her limitation. I have the privilege of chatting with her, and she's multifaceted, okay? (laughs) She is a dedicated advocate for mothers, parents that are navigating the fourth trimester, what is the fourth trimester? Oh, that's the period after you have the baby. <laughs> People that's don't right. realize that's a thing. Um, and then she also has a diverse skill set. She is a therapist, a celebrant, and an energy medicine practitioner. She brings a holistic mm-hmm. approach to her work. For over four decades, she has been a certified birth educator and doula, offering invaluable support to pregnant and postpartum women. Dr. Spire's unwavering dedication to empowering parents through the challenges of the postpartum period is evident in her groundbreaking app, Digital Doula. And she also has, yes. Digital Doula (laughs) 2.0. And she's written a book also, Life After Birth, A Parent's Holistic Guide for Thriving in the Fourth Trimester. My goodness, we have plenty to chat about. Yes, it's right there. There it is. (laughs) So this is Dr. Diane Spire, everyone. She is I'm here. amazing. I'm just so excited to talk to you. And you know what? I, I just thought I, I thought someone whose podcast is called, you know, um, Mommy Mentor is exactly um, that audience that I really want to share with because, um, you know, it's one of those, it's, it's an old adage, but babies don't come with manuals. And um, there's so much that's not really understood or known uh, in advance. And we make all these preparations for birth and we don't realize or pay any attention to what's going to happen after birth. So a number of years ago, I guess, well, when I started writing the book, which was in 2012, I realized that there was a serious need to kind of fill in the gap there about um, the need to prepare for what happens after the birth, because it goes on a whole lot longer than the time that we're in labor. Yes. So um, that was really, uh, you know, the premise of writing a book, because it, there, there really is um, a dearth of information, just practical information yes. and useful information and um, understanding the kinds of changes that are going to be taking place. Instead of, you know, people fall into what I call, or somebody else called it, I'm just using the expression baby shock. And and the baby is born and and there's this idea that, well, how come nobody told me it was going to be like this? Yeah, that is why I have this podcast. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because no one told me parenting was going to be like this. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And, and, um, you know, I call it the fourth trimester because it takes, it's a three month period, essentially, 
right after the baby is born. And during that time, and a significant number of changes are taking place. And it's probably uh, the fastest period of change that goes on other than the actual birth itself. And, and if we pay attention to some of what a woman and, and, and her partner needs, because I, I sort of see this as a whole family thing, um, then you know maybe I can make a contribution to a smoother and an easier transition into parenthood. That by the end of that fourth trimester, when, the, you know, when their baby is three months old, and you, you, know, you can sort of see beyond the walls of the home, um, in terms of going back into the world, maybe joining a class, maybe taking a massage class or sensory class or any number of things that now mothers can do with their babies, they feel ready to take on the world. And I would hope that that's so. So the, the um, subtitle of my book is A Parent's Holistic Guide for Thriving in the Fourth Trimester. And that that's goes way beyond surviving, which we all do. We all right. survive it, it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, there may have been a lot of uh, sort of personal disruption if we don't support that transition. And, you know, the most notable are, are when women end up having some kind of perinatal mood and anxiety disorder because, you know, they didn't know it was going to be like this. They think they're the only person that this is happening to. That means that maybe there's something wrong with them or they're doing something wrong or whatever the thing is, but there, there is this um, sense of, of failure, I think, you yeah. know, for, for a lot of women yes. that, that happening to you. And so um, I want to, I want to sort of give them that kind of information that lets them know you're not alone. Lots yeah. of people have this experience. You're, you're part of humanity and mothers are going through this kind of questioning, challenging, normally challenging experience all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, and well, fortunately or unfortunately, um, some cultures do support that kind of six month, at least six week period yes. after the baby is born. Yes. Um, but it, it tends to be that in English speaking countries, that's not true. Not the case. <laughs> yes. I have noticed that myself. Um <laughs> being a nurse who lives in an inner city, I, I care for a lot of cultures. And um, one of the cultures that predominates in my area is the Somali culture. And before COVID, when visitors could come to the hospital and there was no restrictions and all that, the women would just descend upon this mom and her new baby and take care of everything for right. her. And Sometimes us Americans can view that as she's lazy and blah, blah, and get up, get moving, take care of your baby. But that's just because we are uneducated about the fourth trimester and how serious of a transition that is and what can happen and what the consequences are if these women and their partners and the new family is unsupported in the fourth trimester. Absolutely. I, yes. I'm completely in agreement with you on that. And um you know, I've been at this so long. I mean, I started running mother and baby sort of mother support groups back in 1979. <laughs> and then that sort of morphed into a sort of mother and baby exercise class um, that I did for 20 years. And so I had a lot of experience of actually working with moms and facilitating their connection, their bond, um, showing them things that they could be doing with their babies that really felt meaningful for them. 
And it was funny because I would bump into people 10 years later and they'd say, I'm still friends with people I met in that group. Oh, yes. And so it, it does create a sense of community. Right. Um, which is really, I think, vital. Uh, yes. Somebody that you can turn to who's going to help you, not judge you, but who's going to provide some kind of wisdom or just plain useful advice or connect you with something. Because now so much is available on the Internet. That we yes. can just, you know, we can go. but unfortunately, you can get not so good information on the internet as well. True, true. And many years ago, when I was an academic health researcher, I was working on a project as a as a, a research fellow on how a pa it was called patients, professionals, and the internet, and how people's access to the internet, whether or not that was influencing the experience of uh, patient doctor consultation. Mm. It turned out that at that stage, which was, you know, uh, let's see, 2009 when we finished that, um, it really wasn't so. There was this whole idea that someone was going to come in with a ream of paper from the, you know, the printer saying, you know, I read this, but that didn't actually play out in the consultations that I was present for. So it was, it was an interesting thing. So you want to be careful that the information that you get from the internet is reliable. True. That and finding information on the internet and, and having that material be your support, and hopefully it's good material and reputable material, that is isolating. You Like, like you said, going to your classes, and, and not that you have to take a mommy and me class, but somehow get out in the world with your baby, mm -hmm. with people mm -hmm. who are in similar situations as you, because that creates a, a sense of belonging you know yeah. that you're it's huge to know that you're not alone in this and that mm -hmm. everyone is experiencing it because i my very first episode is talking about how i had no idea i thought i was the only one experiencing this then i become a postpartum nurse it's across the board everyone mm -hmm. feels mm -hmm. like this and it took until like 16 years into my my parenting career for me to get to that career and know oh I'm not alone. This is the real deal. Everyone's experiencing, you know, a variation of what I'm experiencing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not just in the baby newborn period. Obviously it goes on and on and on. Like you said, 10 years right. later, there's ladies who are still friends and I'm sure they're venting to each other about their 10 year olds. Right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is. And the interesting thing was when I was, uh, when I was running these classes regularly and, you know, some people would keep coming, and it would work up until the point where the baby started crawling away. Then it would be a little <laughs> bit iffy, but um, so that the mothers that was like had a had a six month old baby were able to share with the mothers that had a two or a three month old baby mm -hmm. what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and share their experience. And and all of a sudden they became like the, the they they knew it. You know, they were the right. expert yeah. just because they were a few months down the road. But that kind of sharing. Um, is I think fundamental to a sense of community and as you said a, a sense of belonging yes um, yes and, and 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 we need to do more about that I was just reading an article uh, in the New York Times today um, about how the U.S. neglects their children they have a lot of ideas that they don't implement in any kind of policy that would be supportive of families and parenting, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, leave for or childcare or uh, any variety of those things. It just, 
and Biden did try to do something about that, but it just, you know, had, had a lot of opposition to it. But we don't really do the kind of support for families that they do in, in other, or what they say are peer um, societies. Uh, and I live in the UK now. So uh, for yeah, instance, just on it. leave, I, I, I witness it. And so in this country, and, and they, they still need to improve what's going on here, but there's parental leave here. And that gives mother and father, you know, a certain 50 weeks. It doesn't wow. mean that they're paid for the whole 50 weeks. They're paid for a certain number, with 27 weeks, I think. Um, and then they go into a sort of um, a lower level payment thing. So, of course, for a father to, you know, to make 150 pounds a week isn't going to do it in terms right. of supporting his family, which is probably why some of the fathers don't take the leave that they're entitled mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. um, they're still, you know, like my partner's uh, daughter was able to take a year off nice. um, and um, and bond with her baby and, and, and watch those milestones that happened in the first year. Um, and then you compare that to an American mother who may, may if she's lucky, get three months off. But yeah. who, who, you know, there's, there's a large percentage, maybe 25% of American mothers are going back after two weeks. Yeah, uh, it's gross. But not to, yeah. Yeah. And I, that's such, such a shame. Really. Yeah, I, I got lucky for myself in, with, I mean, I wasn't really lucky, but but <laughs> the girls were, my twins were, they were my first babies and they were born at 28 weeks. And mm -hmm. I had... um been basically forced to quit my job because I was, you know, on medical bed rest. I was in the hospital on bed rest. And in, in those days, um, there were no virtual jobs. You couldn't do that. That wasn't a yeah. thing. So I was on unemployment. So I was able to stay with them and do the NICU thing. And when they got home and, you know, I took my full six months of unemployment that I could get, and I was able to be there with them. And that was, I mean, a, they were preemies. So that was huge. Um, but B, it was so important. And I remember feeling so busy even during that time, even though I wasn't working. And then well, any, any mother with, with twins is going to be. Busy, oh, well, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mine, I got lucky in this way. They did come home on a schedule. They were in the NICU for two months. So the NICU nurses had them lined up and mm -hmm. I knew when they were eating. Um, but my son fast forward five years from the girls and I was, you know, now I'm working, I'm in the medical field, I'm a nursing assistant. I worked full duty as a nursing assistant on a heavy floor up until 39 weeks, four days, the day before my C-section, had my C-section 39 weeks, five days, went back to work when my son was how old? Eight weeks old. Yeah. I mm -hmm. remember, and I joke about this because we have to joke about things because otherwise you're just going to go crazy. Um, but <laughs> or like, cry a lot. Or cry a lot. <laughs> And I just remember walking down the, the hallway to the unit every day crying, just crying because I didn't, I was, why would I be there? I'm supposed to be home. I'm still healing also. I had a yeah. Condition, yeah. You know, and like I had my lifting restrictions were lifted and all that stuff. So technically I'm good to go, but I just had a major surgery two months ago and my newborn baby's at home. It tore me mm -hmm. apart. I wanted to be a yeah. stay at home mom, but we couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. And so you're completely right. The support 
needs to be there and you are completely yeah. right that america and i and i laughed about this when you said if you notice i smile and kind of like mm-hmm, when you <laughs> said like the lack of care for the children in the united states oh my god we could go on and on and have a whole podcast about that mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. i am very frustrated by it myself but that's not why we're here but <laughs> but we do you're you're absolutely right there is so much research prove proven evidence that if you support this family this this mother through this fourth trimester her baby's going to do better her, she's going to do better. They're both, and the partnership is going to do better. They're the whole family is family. Going to everything's going to go better. And then when she decides, if she decides to go back to work, she will feel like she's bonded with her baby and her baby knows who, that who its mother is. And she won't feel like she's missing out on everything. And she'll also feel physically, mentally, and emotionally ready herself. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Rather than like being forced because of right, finances right. or insurance mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a yeah. lot of families in that position. It is. It, and I know it's it's really true. Um, uh, when I was writing the Digital Doula app and um, what I did when it, the original came out in 2013 and it, and it was pretty much like the first draft of my book, which went through many different revisions you know, before it was published in 2019. And um, there was a section in that in which I um, talk about, you know, the issues around childcare. There's a whole, originally the book, well, the book had like uh, six sections and the last section was called the adverse aftermath of book. And while I was writing that, the one chapter became two and two became three and three became so much I was accumulating that my publisher said, that's a, that's a different book. <laughs> and then I was sort of like, well, what am I going to do? What's that last chapter going to be? And it ended up being about um, leave time, parental leave, maternity leave, paternity leave. And I was using it and I was sort of com contrasting the American system with the UK system, with Australia, and even a little bit of France, because I had a client in that time who was living there. Mm. And um, I was able to sort of see what the different... Um, programs were that were available for parents in terms of taking, you know, taking care of the baby and um, also what kind of child child care subsidies were available for them. And the, Amer the American system, it just really falls short. It's and, really bad. Um, it's unfortunate. So that became like the last um, chapter of the book. And, or it was really called What's Next. And so there was a whole part, you know, going into programs, but there was real section on the, on the whole leave issue that the American system still hasn't been able to come up with an idea for. No. Um, and then when I came time to the to do the app, the the app matches the sections of the book. So in that section, I had, um, you know, uh, gender issues and um, child care issues. And I was just accumulating material. The, the app also has sort of um, just what we call hot topics or an article or, or an idea that I'm sharing. Um, and there, there's, you know, it is, it is something that we do have to pay much more attention to as a society. For sure. Um, to, to, to provide that support. And then the whole last, there's, you know, the last section of the book is also, or the app rather, is called It Takes a Village, which really goes into the dynamics of 
providing that kind of support. And support comes in all different shapes and sizes. You can have financial support, you can have social support, you can have emotional support, you can have practical support. And, and I think that what people have to do, what people really want to be able to ask for that help. But we, I don't think, we, a lot of people aren't very good about asking for help. Yeah, it's and, hard to ask for help. Yeah, so uh, I always encourage people to really get past that because you want as much help as you can, because it really isn't meant for us to be raising children as nuclear families. And 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 right now the nuclear family is the minority of, a, of the society. So right. what do we, you know, we have this sort of mid 20th century attitude about these things yes. and, and why there isn't, um, why we don't support childcare in the American society and why we don't provide for parental leave in the American society. These are all um, ideas about really are just throwbacks to the, like the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we've been working on it that long. <laughs> and we, and we I, hopefully it doesn't go on any longer than another few years yes. before some, somebody steps up for our children. Yes, exactly. Because people view this as a a women's issue. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we all know how some societies feel about women and um, you know, we're not, this is not a political podcast, but like just Mm -hmm. the repeal of Roe versus Wade, you make it Mm -hmm. very clear that you don't care about women, like the policies, the lawmakers, it's very obvious that that is not, we're not provided for as much as, and then that so the American uh, policymakers, <laughs> without yes. indicating any particular party, those policymakers will say, see themselves as being superior to a, a society that that mm-hmm. very much keeps them in a, a second class citizen kind of role. So they would see themselves as superior to that, but no, it's just dressed up in Western gear, like yes. the attitude. Is same. that women aren't full-fledged citizens, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't have to support them. Yes, we're expected to have these babies and mother them like we don't work, but work like we're not a mother. And so, and and, and I like that expression. I mean, it's it's true. We're expected to be, you know, hundred percent and in our motherhood role, and then you're wondering why why aren't the kids okay? Well. The fun part about this is all these policies that the policymakers are making that harm women are truly actually harming babies and, right. and children and the future generations. And it's not going to help our country or our world if we're just continuously not setting up the future generations for success. That's right. And there seems to be a real um, movement to to uh, reverse a lot of the um, uh you know, like for instance, you know, women going to women being in the marketplace or the labor force, um, there's there's this sort of movement to sort of take away some of that and take away rights, reproductive rights. So, although my emphasis in the last forty odd years has been on childbirth, I've always been an advocate for women's reproductive health. Of course. Uh, I was part of that women's reproductive health movement back in the seventies. So. Um, and, you know, I paid attention to, to abortion, but you know, the time I left the United States in 1998, 
no, I wasn't really thinking that there would be any such thing as that Roe versus Wade being repealed. You would never think. Being, yeah, I, I, it never occurred to me. But also the menopausal side of things, you know, I sort of really sort of in terms of a lifespan, women's reproductive health. And um, yeah, it is, it is, it, it, I think we're getting away from our topic, but nevertheless, it is, <laughs> it is, it's sad. It's sad. It is sad. And I'm here with a mission to, to really make it better. Yes. Know, even though there may not be policies that are supportive of you, here's some things that you can do to help yourself feel uh, empowered yes. and to feel, you know, confident and competent and all of the things that we want to do. We want to feel confident and competent when we're newborn parent is sometimes a, a, the expression that I use because uh, as, as we started, it, there's no manual. No. It's too bad. There's a man, man, that's a manual now. There's a, there's a manual. There's where you <laughs> can the start there. Yeah, that's right. All right. Um, well, yeah. So let's talk about uh, you talked about how birth is like the quickest, you know, part, the quickest transition. And we, we've heard a lot about traumatic births in the last, you know, I think that they're coming to a forefront. People are more so acknowledging now birth can be traumatic. Um, and what would you, can you share some key insights from your workshops or mm -hmm. any other experiences just to avoid birth trauma and how to prepare the best for that birth? Yeah, um, I, uh, I've, I do, I've done some presentations on the subject and uh, and the workshop also was developed from that, in that there's, 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 how would I, how would I express it? I think one of the key things for avoiding a birth trauma or a traumatic birth experience is um, something called medical consumerism. And most people don't realize that they are, in fact, a medical consumer when they go into the hospital. Um, because most of the, you know, we feel out of power, unless we're someone like you who works in a hospital, most people going into a hospital that are not staff mm -hmm. feel out of power. Mm -hmm. And so they abdicate. They don't really feel that they can, they can you know, fight for their rights. And yes. so medical consumer, I mean, when I first became a childbirth educator back in 1978, that was one of the things that was um, presented to us as important for people to be able to, um, to be able to, to advocate for themselves because um, there were things, you know, in those days we were just fighting the, the escalation of medicalized birth experiences and what can you do about it? So being a medical consumer means you're going to challenge some of the things that they said. And I had an experience recently where I had to go into the hospital um, to have, I had hyperparathyroidism, hmm. uh, the most obscure endocrine condition you can come up with. Right. But I went in for, I went in for a CAT scan and I said to the person, when uh, I'd like to see the CAT scan hmm. when, when it's done. And he said, well, I don't know if that's allowed. And I said, well, why wouldn't it be allowed? And his answer to me was, well, it's medical policy. I said, can you show me where it says that? They can't. How many people would have that retort? Because they can't. Because it's not, doesn't exist. But it's a way of getting compliance from patients. It's a way of getting you to agree to do what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, so that's just an example. But maybe the mom in labor isn't going to be there. Maybe her, her partner be able to say, can you show me where that, where that is? And if it's really part of the hospital policy, I'll go along with it. But if it's not, 
and yes. we want to do this. Um, yeah. Part of the medical consumerism is something I call the four questions. Um, and the four questions are, so, so this would be the questions you would ask if um, someone was suggesting that we want to do this to, for you or to you. Uh, and the first question is why? And the second question would be, well, what are the alternatives? And if someone says there's no alternatives, that's a lie. Because there's always more than one. Mm -hmm. There's always more, you know, there's like two sides of the coin. So there's always more than yeah, one. Unfortunately, when they do that, they tend to, um, to create uh, uh, fear. So if you don't do this, your baby could die. Yeah. Whoa, who's going to fight that one? Yeah. Um, but you could come back and say, die of what? Do you know what I mean? It's like, but we don't, we're not really um, geared up for that. But so the third question is, what are the side effects? You know, and then the fourth question, well, what are the, what are the cost benefit ratio of this? Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, and whenever something's being suggested, you have to, you know, I, I think you really, and it goes against what you feel is right for you then you really want to be able to or feel, feel strong enough to challenge that. So that's sort of the medical consumerism thing. I think there's another thing that goes on with birth tra with uh, trauma. It's the notion of inflammation. And so when, as a perinatal psychologist, I also understand that there are a variety of theories regarding um, why people end up having perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And so one of the things is inflammation. And that during, the, especially during the third trimester, not the fourth one, but the third one, there are levels of, um, the level of inflammation, particularly cytokines, is incredibly high. And that is also the reason why some women get very anxious, other women get very depressed. And inflammation as uh, the, the, probably the, the overarching risk of having a traumatic experience comes from that place. Well, if you teach somebody about inflammation before they have the baby, then they can say, ah, yeah, Diane said that was going to happen. Or, you know, I read about that. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're like not as alarmed when other people around them start putting the alarms out and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's just a couple of examples. So I think that we need to provide birth preparation and my workshop supplements fact that this, these things just come up with birth preparation. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel that we need to provide that, that kind of birth prevention that includes that. Um, and that in, informs people about um, mood disorders that are very uh, common, mm -hmm. up to 20% of women could be yes. experiencing that. Um, so be aware, what are the signposts for that? Mm -hmm. You know, if, you, if you're feeling this way and it lasts for a certain period of time, maybe you want to get help. The faster you get help, the faster you feel better because it's not something that just, it, that kills you. It's not something that, unless, unless unfortunately, yeah. sometimes it goes to the extreme of, of suicide, but generally it can be treated. It's easily treated. Mm -hmm. And then you can get on with the experience of, of being with your baby and bonding with your baby. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, mood disorders can get in the way of that. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Also, relationship stress. Most people have no idea how having a baby is going to change the nature of their relationship. Right. And um, and that's why in the um, online course that I, I'm I'm preparing to launch, um, we are the very first module is called how to baby proof your relationship. 
because um, that's a, that's a real unknown quantity. They don't talk. People don't talk about it, mm -hmm. um, and I talk about it. I talk about it because I really feel it's important for um, people to understand that that's going to happen. That doesn't mean the relationship is going off. Right. But, you know, 92% of couples are going to experience increased conflict in the first year after a baby is born. Mm -hmm. Hello, that's just about everybody. That makes and sense. And if that's true, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that's true, then what are we doing to support the relationship during the transition to parenthood? So that's why it became the number one module in, in the eight module online course. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, birth planning can be done in the way of sort of rather than a, a list of things, maybe is it a flow chart? Right. If this, then this. Um, yeah. If, right. You know, and, and, and what, what would be the um, alternatives outcome or yeah. your, your, and the alternatives? It's exactly right. So these are some of the things that I include in, in the workshop because I really want people to understand how in, in medical consumerism, how the system works. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know how the system works. No. So it gives them a little bit of ammunition if they go in and they're being challenged. And they have these comply. questions. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So don't be afraid to ask those questions. Exactly. Ask is, get obnoxious asking the questions if yes. you see. Yes. So that you feel satisfied. Years ago, I used to have women coming to me. They were not my clients. But they knew about me and then I had a sort of a, a, a real wonderful word of mouth back in the day. And so they would call me up and they said, I had the cesarean and I don't know if it was really necessary. And it was like, hmm, why are you calling me? <laughs> but um, I realized then that women walk away from their births feeling completely unresolved about what happened, why it happened. Um, and then again, they didn't get a chance to answer those four questions. What would have been the alternative? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what would it, you know, what would be the side effects, right. um, you know, all those kinds of things. And is it, does it, are the, are the pros better than the cons in that situation? Mm -hmm. So I think those four questions, and I have a, a blog on my website, mm -hmm. um, okay. just on the four questions, if you want to kind of look at that further. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say education is key and knowing. I think so. Yes, I think so too. I am actually, I, for, I, usually inform my patients of what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to, you know, like, for example, they have this newborn baby and they're after the first hour of life, they're pretty sleepy. And then they're pretty sleepy for about 24 hours because they just got here. They're tired from the delivery too. And then at that 24 hour mark, oh, the second night phenomenon happens or the <laughs> uh, cluster feeding phenomenon happens. And parents, I don't know how many of them have called me like, she is crying so much today. I'm worried there's something wrong with her. Why is she crying so much? So I learned in my nursing career to say, okay, your baby is fantastically quiet right now. And it's, you notice it's been hard to get them even to wake up to eat tomorrow when it's the 24 hour mark, you know, even if you gave birth at 3am at 24 hours is usually around this, when this starts, your baby is going to notice it's food's not free anymore. And they have mm -hmm. to figure this out for themselves. <laughs> and so they are hungry. They're feeling it. They're going to cry more. They're going to, they're communicating with you. I need help. I need food. And so mm -hmm. telling them that in advance yeah. prevents all of that anxiety and fear that comes when the baby is crying nonstop mm -hmm. for okay. no reason. It seems no reason, but you know, you're doing all the things and the baby's still crying. It's because they mm -hmm. constantly want to eat right now. 
Yeah, and I found over the years, you know, once upon a time, there was this idea of early hospital discharge, right? You know, mm -hmm. when parents had had a sort of normal, spontaneous vaginal delivery, they would just, you know, go home, as, wanted to go home as quickly as possible. Um, and then the sort of early discharge became the norm. It and, is. And then what happens is um, people that used to get a little bit of education, as you say, you know, or, or shown how to breastfeed or uh, how to you know, bathe their baby and things mm -hmm. like that that might be there for a day and a half mm -hmm. um, suddenly disappeared. And the women went home without a real understanding of how to take care of their babies. Um, yes. And that's that, you know, it, it's a sad <laughs> reality. But, you know, if, if you're feeling happy and strong and well supported at home, you know, then going home in that short period of time won't make a difference. But if you're feeling a little bit tentative and 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 not sure then having that a little bit of, of guidance and support in the hospital can be really instrumental in getting off to a good start I think yes yeah I agree 24 to 36 hours for a stable vaginal birth and 72 hours for a stable c-section and given I work in a high-risk OB hospital a lot of the time these people are there for a little bit longer but it's not mm -hmm. because we're trying to support them through this postpartum period. It's because they have high blood pressure or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I fully agree with you that that support is so huge. And even that little bit of education that you can get in the hospital, like is um, it's it, very important. And I, do, I agree. And here we are just bye. See you later. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. And no, that's not true. Not necessarily so. so not yeah. necessarily so. All right. And then my next question for Dr. Spire is, could you elaborate on the concept of postpartum wellness? And that's an acronym, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, -S, that you cover in your workshops. What are the crucial elements for parents to focus on during this phase for more, a more positive and thriving experience? Well, um, the, the acronym came from, and, and this is the basis of the eight module um, online course as well. Um, that I felt as I was writing the book, um, this kind of fell into place in terms of what were the keys, and I call it the, the online courses, the eight keys to thriving in the fourth trimester, but what were the keys that people need to really be aware of so that they um, can work with that situation, whatever it might be. So the acronym stands for, the W stands for WE, which of course was what I was saying before that that's um, how to baby proof your your um, relationship relationship mm -hmm. because um, awareness of the fact that there is relation relationship stress after a baby is born is important. Mm -hmm. The second E stands for energy medicine, and I think that's what my USB is with um, my book is that I provide tools, simple tools that people can do that can really make a difference in how they feel or how they, or what their energy levels are or um, how to increase your milk supply or how to in enhance your bonds. So there are each in, in the book, um, there are, um, each section has an energy medicine piece to it. Mm. So understanding how energy medicine can be really helpful uh, in terms of, of just that time and, and and the key for energy medicine is that it's something that we can do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require another person to do it for us. And being able to utilize that is, I find, I find really um, a great, a great opportunity. Let's put it that way. The first L stands for loving kindness. 
And that aspect is how um, we're often so self-critical when we go into that experience with any, without any real knowledge of what, what to expect. And so uh, what loving kindness does is it allows us to look after ourselves as well as the people around us, as well as the baby partner and all of that. Um, and one of the things that I found in, in preparing that module was that there's a good deal of research now that, that says the advantage or the benefits of doing loving kindness is um, increased personal resources and positive emotions. Mm. So in a period of life where it can be so fraught um, with just those normal challenges, mm -hmm. something that will help you to sort of um, have develop those personal resources and feel positive about your experience is worth doing in my book. Mm -hmm. um, the second L stands for less is more. Less is more has to do with the fact that you don't want to be doing all of these things. You know, you don't want to be having lots of visitors. It's very exhausting to do that. You don't want to, you don't necessarily have to have all of the paraphernalia or the top of the line models because the most important thing that's going to be taking place during that time is getting to know your baby mm -hmm. and understanding what the rhythms are and understanding what the cries mean and understanding the, the, the way that, you know, you are responding to those needs. And if you have all these extraneous things going on around you, it's going to distract from that reality. And then that really is the way for an attachment to really um, settle in very positively. So that's less is more. The N stands for new normal. And uh, over the years, you can't, you can't imagine how many people have said to me, I just want to get back to normal. Except normal changed. Yeah. <laughs> normal was not what it was before. So... Uh, the ability to embrace that is something that is not an easy thing to do, but it's a it's a it's a real key for reaching a level of satisfaction. Because if you're always sort of looking into the past, oh well, this is I was able to do that before, and now I can't do that now. And there's that sort of I just think let's move forward rather than look back. Mm -hmm. uh, or or someone said let's ride the horse in the direction that it's going. You know. Yes. <laughs> So um, that's the end. The second E has to do with expectations. And sometimes we go into uh, our experience of parenting with unreal expectations or unhelpful expectations. And that module is about turning those things around or finding helpful uh, expectations and realistic ones that, because um, I think that depression, a lot of the times, has to do with the fact that this not did not meet their expectations. Mm -hmm. And all their life, they just wanted to be a mother and wait a minute, what? this is not what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So, um, in fact, I bet there's something to that book that, that, that manifesto, of what, you, what to expect when you're expecting. Yep. That's probably an issue in that title. It, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you don't know what to expect. It could be yeah. a variety of things. That's just a basic. You have to expect the knowledge. unexpected. I think that should be the key. Yeah. And then the first S stands for um, self-care. And um, now that's become a something of a buzzword these days in terms of the whole movement for wellness. But, mm. you know, not 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 the sort of going to the spa kind of self-care, but creating kind of um, ways, maybe I won't necessarily call them rituals because that can have a negative connotation, but things that you can do on a regular basis that are taking care of yourself. 
And, you know, that goes back to the whole idea, like if you're in an airplane and the oxygen mask come down, mother has to put that on first before mm -hmm. putting on the child's, mm -hmm. the, the child's, if that mother passes out, yeah. if the child has exactly. a mask on. Mm -hmm. So we really do need to take care of ourselves as new mothers. And, um, and that might mean, and that may be uh, leading into the next set S, which is support, but sometimes they overlap a little bit. So maybe in the process of taking care of yourself, you ask somebody for help, mm -hmm. you know, because maybe you didn't get to take a shower that day. So, yeah. Uh, and, and that requires a certain amount of uh, flexibility. So if your normal routine used to be uh, taking a shower in the morning, maybe you're taking a shower in the evening when your partner comes home mm -hmm. or, you know, somebody else could, could be there to hold the baby while you take a shower. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. But the support piece is is the most important one, because I do think we have to there has to be well maybe a bubble of uh that allows that support to come in from a variety of sources and resources so that the the person feels like they're not doing this on their own it really does take a village to mm -hmm. raise a child and a mother yes you know, it's not just the child yes and and I know I have I mean I have an episode on this about postpartum visitors and I know that those people are well intentioned everybody's been so excited about the baby and the pregnancy they're all anticipating it we all we get why they're there and why they mm -hmm. want to be there but that is insanely overwhelming for a new family so in that episode I encourage the parents to set boundaries but I also mm -hmm encourage the loved ones to really like remember what it was like when you did that if you don't have kids if you haven't become a parent then okay but imagine how they must feel and mm. try to be supportive don't think of yourself don't think of your need to see this baby and right. it's my grandchild or it's my daughter and this and that and none of that matters because what you're doing is setting your the new parents and new family up for lots of stress because now mm -hmm. they're having also arguments on top of it you know yeah. i agree with you and i have always encouraged uh as well is if someone is coming over mm -hmm. they cannot come empty-handed no i agree they have, they have to come with some kind of of, of um service mm -hmm. they're either going to help you or they if somebody, <laughs> right if you're going to bring dinner or you're going to help me with the laundry, mm -hmm. or you're going to do some shopping for me, mm -hmm. or some of those things, some of those everyday things that need to be taken care of that you're not necessarily able to go out and do, then then they're welcome. Yep. They can't, they can't stay too long. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But they're welcome. And um, it at least helps the mother be fed. There, there was something that I, I, I think it's in my book as well. The contract for hours is the way I did it. Mm -hmm. When my fourth child was about to be born, I had this contract for hours and people could sign up because one of the things is people really do want to help. Mm -hmm. They don't um, know how is the problem. Exactly, they don't know how. And you, and when they ask you off the cuff, well, what do you want? It was like, um, I'm mm -hmm. not sure. Yep. But if you sort of lay it out there, I really would like your help. And they're able to sign up for someone and be very specific about what they're going to do. Then it's a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. The mother is look is being looked after, mm -hmm. but the person who wants to be assisting, it's very concrete for them. They know yep. exactly what they're doing. And mm -hmm. so when, for mine, it was like, 
you know, someone signed up to take my kids to my older kids to after school activities and someone signed up for shopping for me and somebody else signed up for bringing over some meals and, you know, and, and that's a really wonderful way. And that's part of the self-care thing mm-hmm. of allowing things. So it covers, you know, none of these are sort of isolated things. Like, no, it all goes you know, together. When I was speaking at a conference and I had a poster session, it was like, I noticed that we, the WE, from, for the relationship, it sort of overlapped with support. And, you know, the less is more relates to the new normal. And, you know, it, all of these things sort of, they, they, they sort of gel into something that if you manage to take all care of all those things and address them, mm-hmm. then that's going to make that fourth trimester an easier, smoother ride. Sure. I know I've seen videos on the internet myself of people being like, do you, but can you believe Tina? She sent out a list of things that she needs and she's like, doesn't even want to talk to us. She just wants us to put it on the porch. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, get over yourself <laughs> to those people <laughs> in the video, you know, because yeah, they, do you want to help this person? You know, is that your goal? And if that's mm-hmm. your goal, it shouldn't matter if you see them or not. And then, like you said, if they need to come with something in hand and it would be helpful for families to probably make a list of things that you can envision needing help with when your baby comes. You may not know because this is your first baby, but think of the things that you do on a daily basis, maybe, or on a weekly basis or the chores that you don't think about. The dog needs a walk still and those types of things. And you're not taking advantage of your family members and your friends by doing this. You're giving them a tool. Because they want to help you and they don't know how. Exactly. So we're right on the same page with that. It reminds me of one of the um, bonuses for the we or the how to baby proof your relationship module is something that I call the division of labor. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully done, but essentially it it creates a table for them to decide what tasks are going to be done by whom. Because prior to the baby, they may have been a very egalitarian kind of relationship in terms of who does what. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden the baby is born mm-hmm. and that goes like that. You know, I mean, it's not equal anymore. And the mother, because she's home with the baby, is suddenly taking on all of these extra domestic chores because she's there. Well, that's mm-hmm. not right. And that's mm-hmm. going to lead to resentment. And the way that it's organized is you have a set of tasks, you write them in, you know, like uh, walking the dog might be one of them. Mm-hmm. Who's doing that now? Who's going to do that after the baby is born? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then maybe we all added a column for like infant care. So who's mm-hmm. going to do this and who's going to do that? And if they have taken the opportunity before the baby is born to work that out, it crystallizes the ideas about what their needs are and how to get them met. Mm-hmm. And if they're getting their needs met, then there's less likelihood of resentment building up because there's a lot, can be a lot of resentment for yes. a woman who feels like she's, in terms of gender parity, she's going backwards in terms of, of her, um, you know, equal share yes. of what needs to be done. So that's just an example, exactly like the list that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a list of tasks. These are, it, these are yeah. tasks that need doing and who's yep. going to do it? Yeah, doing that in a couple is even a good idea because there are, like you said, household tasks that you're used to one partner doing this and one partner doing that and realize after the birth that could shift and it will shift. And mama is often sitting here stuck in a chair or a bed breastfeeding or feeding or God knows Mm -hmm. what, you know, with the baby. And so they're often kind of a little bit removed from 
their ability to help in the household because they're focused on this new baby, you mm -hmm. know, and the dad is obviously also focused on the new baby too, but his role is a lot different because he doesn't have breasts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, he, he may have breasts, but they don't well, function they quite don't, the same way. They don't lactate, yes. <laughs> um, and even if you're not breastfeeding, you're still, you know, very focused on feeding mm. that baby and mm. all those things. And, and like you said, they spend the day at home and sleep when the baby sleeps is what people tell you but then you're mm -hmm. automatically like no I can't do that there's all this stuff to be done and if my mm -hmm. partner comes home and this is you telling yourself this by the way and it doesn't even mm -hmm. have to be you know and it could happen in healthy wonderful relationships where your partner is amazing and you think think oh god he's gonna come home and the house is gonna be a mess and he's gonna be like what did you do all day <laughs> so you yeah, don't sleep when the baby sleeps yeah, yeah that's right yeah that's right but um yeah so that's why it's it's in the book and it's in the app and mm -hmm. you know it is a reality that there there becomes a sort of very differentiated level of, of input or in terms of what's going on in the house mm -hmm. in that division of labor so um pay attention to it ahead of time and That's then smart. you will be, you know, ready to ready to accommodate each other and understand um, who's doing what. And then there's no arguments. Right. Or many less. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. Not as much. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there'll only be 85 percent conflict on that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not 92, <laughs> just 85. <laughs> Right, right. Oh my goodness. Mm. And then you also have an online course that's called Eight Keys for Thriving in the Fourth Trimester. Can you highlight a couple of these keys? Less is more and um, the new normal and the the play of expectations, all of those things. People just don't really understand that those are going to rise up. And, and, you know, instead of just having to deal with the adjustment to having a baby, the recovery from having a baby, um, they're now having to, to, to sort of juggle all of these extraneous kinds of things because they just weren't, you know, they weren't sort of uh, in that kind of cocoon that they right. need to give themselves. It's only three months long, you know, and it may seem like a long time, but it's really not. It will pass like that. Oh, yes. And the more that people know what you expect. So I wrote a book and I created an app, but I thought it needs a bigger audience. It needs more people to sort of tune in and say, oh, what can I do? And the the the, the value of an online course is that you can just dip in and out. You know, if you have a baby already, mm -hmm. you can dip in, you know, you can listen while you're nursing or, you know, you can get a couple of lessons in each lesson only is about five minutes long. And, you know, most modules have somewhere between six, five, six, seven lessons mm -hmm. within the module, but it really covers the bases. And then there are lots of, you know, bonuses as well, pretty things that you can, you know, that you can use to understand how to make the most of the situation. So, because so many people have said to me, oh, you know, I wish I would have had this when I was having my baby. Mm -hmm. I thought over the last 20 years or so, the experience of childbirth, the, the over-medicalization of that experience leaves a lot of people like when we started, you know, with the birth trauma, I had, I was, um, I had a little exhibit in a mind, body, spirit event over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, a woman came up to me, she saw my um, retractable banner and talked about being a postpartum specialist. 
And so she was sort of talking about, you know, the fact that oh, she has a baby, the baby's nine months old, and, you know, she had a traumatic birth and the tears started coming down. Oh. And so I invited her to sit with me for a little bit. And, you know, because I've been at this for a while and I wrote a chapter in an anthology on birth trauma, I, I was able to predict some of the things that she was going to tell me. She had a long prodromal labor and it went on for five days and uh. people were listening to her and, you know, it was a failed induction and da 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 da, da. What hospital, we, I could, could predict so many of the things that she told me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, that high level of interventions where obstetrics is taking charge of the experience rather than the mother having an experience, the incidence of women feeling like their birth was traumatic is anywhere from 33% to 45%. Now that may have gotten higher because that date, that's actually from 2015. Um, oh yeah, I would say it's much higher. Review. Yeah, it could be even higher than that now. Now that doesn't mean that they actually get to post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. because about four or 5% of women meet the criteria for that. Mm-hmm. But women walk away saying, you know, I felt the whole thing was so traumatic to me. And that's not a good way to get started. No. So um, that, that's why that workshop for me, you know, was was created is to to try to avoid that, you know, yeah. to, people can feel like they're in control. Sure. And I think that's one of the things that people don't feel like they are. They're, they're not in control. You're absolutely right. I'm so glad you mentioned those four questions that women can ask because a lot of the time you have no idea. And like you said, unless you're a person who works in the medical system, you do not often feel empowered to say what's what. And mm-hmm. people only take I have a feeling, you know, this is my body. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I can, I feel it, you know, right. they only take that so far until it's too late. And then there's not enough focus on the fact that, you know, we all get, we get through the birth, the mom, the, the dad, the baby, the medical providers, we get through it. And there's no acknowledgement of, holy crap, that was hard, you know, mm-hmm. like for you, for me, cause I'm sorry. I know that these medical providers also have trauma related to these d- deliveries yes. that don't go right either. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other subject, but there's no, it seems like there's no, it's almost like there should be a debriefing, like where the, you know, and I've seen a debriefing happen a few times um, where it was like extremely traumatic, but I've never seen a debriefing happen just when things didn't go as you expect. And I don't mean things didn't go as you expect, as in your candles weren't lit and your music wasn't <laughs> right and your water bath temperature wasn't correct. I'm not talking about that. Because I'm talking mm-hmm. about how did this affect you emotionally and mm-hmm. physically, mentally, both you and your partner. And I wish that there was more debriefing done in the mm-hmm. hospital after the delivery when mm-hmm. things are not, you came in, your water broke, you had a baby, you know? Right, right. And also, it's important to remember that something for the, the, the subjective reality of, of a new mother who feels like she was traumatized, mm-hmm. uh, it's very different than the perspective or uh, the objective perspective of the of the staff member, the nurse or the doctor saying, well, it was just another verse as far as they were concerned. But it, and those two things don't match. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in terms of when I was doing the research for the chapter I wrote, there was debate about as to the value of a debriefing because it depends on how it's being done exactly and sometimes that debrief will be very much geared towards a professional rather than the patient Mm -hmm. and so here's our perspective and this is it and so they're not really listening so they really i think really needs to be a conversation 
about what happened. Right. Um, in which the the mother's perspective and her subjective reality mm-hmm. is taken into account, you know, and that that's I would call that a childbirth review as yes. opposed to a sort of a debrief, which which d- definitely comes from a sort of military perspective. You're and, absolutely and it tends right to favor the professional side of things. So, you know, childbirth review really, uh, you know, really uh, invites, you know, it's important to invite that um, person to share their experience mm-hmm. and then sharing their experience and then getting maybe clarification on that and the professional getting some views that maybe they need to change their well if not their attitude their behavior mm-hmm. you know in certain circumstances because it can have this effect exactly um, and and so I'm, I'm agreeing with you in terms of the notion of, of some some sort of a thing yes. needs to happen after absolutely. the birth yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and then that you know that like that woman i told you about called me six months later that allows them to move forward mm-hmm. you know to into into the whole parenting thing they're holding they're not holding on to this thing that happened and then you know right. it's not resolved because unresolved stress tends to play out down the road maybe in depression mm-hmm. or certainly anxiety Yes. And um, other kinds of issues. One of my logos is called the right start. You know, I, I don't want to get people off to the right start. Yes. <laughs> and always have. It's, it just yes. feels really important. Right. And for medical professionals that are listening, I know that it can get, we see this stuff all the time every day. You know, you see it over and over again every day. You might see a traumatic birth or something go wrong or, you know, emergency C-section, crash C-section, etc. You might see like scary stuff all the time at work it desensitizes you please realize Mm -hmm. that because this is your job and I know that you might be able to like on some level acknowledge that this is hard for the family but put yourself in their position let them lead the way on how they're feeling and talking Mm -hmm. when they talk to you and you ask them how they're feeling just shut up and listen because Yeah. yeah we do get desensitized and you're darn right we can easily say like oh it wasn't that bad you're fine you know, but mm-hmm. in reality, mm-hmm. think about this, this person and her experience. She doesn't, this is not her job. This is not something she does every day. This is her yeah. birth experience, which is hugely powerful. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I would like to ask you more about what is energy medicine? Okay. So let's talk about energy medicine. Uh, Cause I did a presentation about that this weekend as oh, well. Oh, perfect. <laughs> And what it is, is it addresses the experience of we have or we are encapsulated in an energy field. So we have this electromagnetic field that surrounds us. Sometimes we call it the aura. And what happens is if their energy energies get into a place where they're not flowing the way they should be flowing, then what happens is it can sometimes precipitate into some kind of physical illness or some kind of an emotional illness or mental illness. So uh, what energy medicine does is it works with the, the sort of dynamic infrastructure that is surrounding the person. And it works with, you know, the way that I was trained was with nine different energy systems. So let's see if I can count them all now. So the first one is meridians which comes from traditional Chinese medicine. Then there are chakras that comes from more of an uh, Indian background. And then there is what's called radiant circuits, which is also from traditional Chinese medicine. But radiant circuits are 
different from the meridians that have very energetic pathways, like the energetic bloodstream of the body, um, radiant circuits tend to kind of go like hyperlinks to wherever it's needed in the body. Mm. And in the embryo, I found it's what's interesting is that the very first system to begin to to develop is are the radiant circuits. Chinese yeah. call them strange flows because they're different from the meridians. And hmm. um, so that's uh, radiant circuits. Then there's the aura. Then there's the Celtic weave, which is like a net that that protects the whole aura system and synthesizes all of these nine systems together. It's like a, um, a web and um, it contains all of the energy systems. Then there's the electrics, and that's the electrical dimension dimension of all of these systems. And it's also the piece of energy medicine that's easiest to measure um, in terms of electrics. Hello. Thank she you. said she had to make an appearance. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, what else? There's a basic grid, which I haven't been trained on yet, because that comes in the fourth year of the advanced training, mm. which is essentially like the uh, energetic skeleton of the body it's very very deep hmm. and all of the energy systems sort of feed into this deep deep grid that hmm. you know can break so if it's broken then the person isn't going to heal well or isn't going to be able to thrive hmm. so i don't know if i got all nine systems chances are i didn't <laughs> because it always, always seems that there's one that i've left out as an energy medicine practitioner we first work with the organization of the energies to see what's out of whack mm. and then we test the meridians to see if there's anything not happening then there are ways of, of sedating or strengthening them um, working with the whole uh, chakra system all of the seven main chakras and it might be that we're doing something related to um, electrics and you know so each one of those whatever the information is in evoked from what's called energy testing mm. not it's very similar to applied kinesiology and that's a muscle testing ah. well, this is an energy testing okay and so you test each of those and there are specific tests that you can do for meridians for chakras for or for celtic weave one of the things that i i found fascinating when i was doing my training for instance about the aura is that there are seven layers in the aura and that's, you know, it's sort of like, and they, and they go from the, the beginning of your hand, you know, all the way right up to your body. But then they're also what they call bands. And there are seven concentric bands that go from your toes up to your, up to your head. So mm -hmm. the aura is also like multi-layered in terms of what's going on in that. And then so it's important to know that, there's, that everything seems to be with figure eights. Huh. You know, the, the energy of the system, it tends to form these figure eights. Occasionally, there you find other um, geometric uh, patterns in there, but mainly figure eights. Hmm. And so when I was training, the first year that I did the training, I thought, you know, this is something, these protocols and techniques are so great for people who've just had a baby. Yeah. Okay. So there's something called the daily energy routine, and it's something that I do every night before I go to bed. And if I forget, I rarely forget now because I pay the price. I don't sleep well. Mm. I said the majority of the people get their day started with that. It takes less than 10 minutes, mm. but it actually activates all of these different systems, gets them humming. 
Hmm. And um, and so when you're dealing with the low energy during the fourth trimester, this is something that can be charging. Oh, and if I you see. go into if you go into the um, uh, second section of my book, which is called hormones and the stress response, or the dynamic of hormones and the stress response, then uh, energy techniques that they can do to mitigate the level of stress that they're feeling. Mm. And to balance out the different layers of stress and to understand how that works. Uh, in the breastfeeding section there, there are things, that you, there's a spleen, spleen meridian is considered the mother of meridian. Oh. So if you've got spleen flowing well, then that's going to also um, improve the level of uh, breast milk production. Mm. So there are things to do like that. So uh, um, radiant circuits was something that, I uh, discuss in the bonding and attachment section of the book. And that really, it, it, what, what radiant circuits do is they bring joy and they activate your, not only your inner joy, but your inner physician so yeah. that you can continue to heal um, after, you know, after the session is finished. Mm. And then let's see, then, then there's a whole lot on the, on the relationship section. It was a big section of my book. And I draw on the work of Donna Eden, who is the Eden Energy Medicine, where I, I was trained, but also her husband, David Feinstein, who was uh, also one of the founders of tapping, you know, the, the, ta yep. the whole sort of tapping thing. Um, so they created a book called Energies of Love. And um, so whether you were, oh, what I did forget is the five rhythms, which is also important. And that's working where the Chinese have five elements, whereas mm -hmm. other systems have four. And so in the Chinese elements, you have water, wood, fire, earth, and metal. And each one of them has their own stress response. So if you know that your partner has wood, which is anger, um, but you're, uh, you know, earth and you're anxious, then that can in, that's going to impact on how you communicate with each other. So what that does is it, it offers them up ways of, of of shifting the communication in ways that are probably more productive. And one of the things that I did um, uh, for, I did this for the actual, um, this is called Energy Medicine for Postpartum Resilience. And it's a 60 page document. And what I did was I pulled all of the different sections on energy medicine and put it in one document. So it's just, they can read through it and it's, you know, it's, it's organized into the different sections so they know, you know, what it's about. And sure. energy medicine is, I think it's the way that um, health and healing is going to move in the 21st century, mm -hmm. because I think we're finding a lot of the <clears throat> typical allopathic strategies aren't necessarily helpful. But the, the great thing, energy medicine can be something unto itself, but it's a great complement to uh, the medical model. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think that um, we can incorporate things into our typical Western mes medicine and mm -hmm. that's our supportive. I fully agree. Yeah. Thank yeah, you for yeah. so much for explaining that because I'm not, I'm not very familiar with energy medicine. That's so interesting. Definitely mm -hmm. going to have to look more into that. Mm -hmm. well, I, I really appreciate you being on the Mommy Mentor podcast, Dr. Spire. It was so amazing to talk to you and such a, we learned so much. I know that this <laughs> is going to help the audience for sure. So oh, I really appreciate it. Well, mommies, I hope you got as much knowledge from that episode as I did. Obviously, Dr. Spire is a wealth of knowledge. 
Her website is dianespire.com, D-I-A-N-E-S-P-E-I-E-R.com. I really encourage you to go look at it because you're definitely missing out if you don't. She has a lot of resources on there for you and you can even engage with her via her website, via her classes, and you can engage with her throughout the world. She's got virtual classes. So please go take a look at that. And also please take a look at my website or my Instagram. My website's mommymentorpodcast.com. Instagram is mymommymentor. Please just send me a message. Let me know if you have any questions or would like to cover a specific topic in an episode. And please go and like and follow the Mommy Mentor Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good whatever time of day you're listening. Till next time, mommies.